I'm not supposed to be stuck. Seized. Disconnected. Lifeless. I was made for more than this. Not to stay, but to be restored by the one who designed me. Refined and renewed as he does his work. And then to be driven by a force, alive and connected to those around me, and working for something greater, propelling each other forward in motion, living rust-free and keeping speed, to be part of something bigger as I live out my purpose. I was made for this. I was made to grow. As is so often the case, I feel like if you watch that video, we could pray and be dismissed. I mean, the mess, I mean what Chris and his team do, I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, okay. I don't know. I watched it like five times this week when he got it done. It's like, that's amazing. Hey, it's good to have you with us here. Those of you um, online, so glad that you've joined us. If you're by yourself, with your family and friends, if you're in a garage, if you're in a gym, wherever you're from. And a special shout out to our family in uh, San Pedro, Belize today. For the very first time in a year, you're able to meet together again. And so glad that you're down there with uh, David and Kim and Rafa and the whole crew and the brand new facilities that you're in this morning. Glad you're with us. And of course, as always, our uh, Skagit campus there with Pastor Brian. Uh, Glad that you're with us. Uh, If you've been in our settings for any length of time, you've probably heard us reference a a phrase that it's our it's our driving force, it's our visions, our goals, our you know mission, what have you. And that is that we exist to glorify God by altering the spiritual landscape one life at a time through Jesus. And this happens in a, in a, a variety of ways, a lot of different ways that we can alter the spiritual landscape. One of which you just heard, our spring edition of Gift of Grub. And I really hope that you will respond as you have in the history of our church at Christmas time. Uh, this year, uh, we're doing this in the spring. But in, in our outreach in the Go and Be ministries, to go uh, in love and be a light uh, to this world in the way that we impact and partner with others. It happens in our buildings every week with our Explorers League, with children and those of you who volunteer, you're altering spiritual landscapes. In our middle school edge ministries, in the high school encounter ministries, in the starting point where people are exploring faith and growing in their faith in their community groups. I mean, it happens all over the place. This is, this is what we do. But today what I want to talk about specifically is this one life is not, you know, one life that we're serving and one life we're trying to help out, one life we're trying to bring into the kingdom. The one life I want to talk about today is your life and my life. And, and you might say, well, you know, Bob, I, I'm good, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus and all that. Remember, it says altering, not altered. Altering. It's an ongoing. This isn't a one and done kind of a thing. This is an ongoing process of discovering and becoming all that God has created us to be, everything that God has created you to be. It's that ongoing process. And this process is often referred to as spiritual growth or spiritual maturity or discipling or discipleship, those kind of uh, terminology of, of us continuing to become who God created us to be. And I believe that as we continue to allow Jesus to alter our realities and our lives and, and, and our whole situation, our spiritual life, as we are in the process God is able to continue to use us in an even greater way to impact the world and to alter other lives with his grace and his goodness, his generosity, and his love. 
In fact, John Wesley said this, the church changes the world not by making converts, but by making disciples. It's not just a decision, it's this ongoing discipleship process. This, by the way, is what Caitlin talked about last week when she preached, which, by the way, didn't she do a phenomenal job? It was just amazing. I thought that was, that was great, but really, in Caitlin form, maybe I should say, that was, that was sick. I mean, it was dope. It was rad. See, those words just flow off. They're so natural to me to say that. But it's amazing. It's this, this whole idea of discipleship. Now, I may not speak for any of you, but for me, having been raised in the church and Sunday school and different programs, when I hear the word discipleship, and, and maybe this is true for some of you, I hear the word discipleship, and immediately my mind goes to a program, a class, a course, a booklet with homework, uh, the scriptures that we're going to memorize, you know, reaching one level, kind of like I've got my yellow belt in discipleship. I'm working on my brown belt and hope to be on a black belt. It's like there's all these things. And when I hear that word discipleship and all of these pieces that go with it, these disciplines and all this stuff, in my mind, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I need to be doing that. I, I ought to be doing that. I should be doing that. But it's kind of like this, oh, yeah, in the same category of I ought to be better with my diet, I should be living on a budget, I should get a root canal. And it's all these things that I know it will be better, I know my life will be better, I know I ought to, but I'm not really excited about it. And there's, there's like this dread, I mean, it's kind of like what Jesus talked about with the Pharisees, of you, you, you tie up heavy burdens and place them on people's shoulders, and sometimes while we know it ought to be good for us, it feels like such a heavy burden as opposed to this, this joy and this expectation and this anticipation. And maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe there's some things that we've experienced or some mindset that we have that has kind of taken it off of what Jesus had in mind. Dallas Willard, you know, I quote him all the time. Dallas Willard said, spirituality wrongly understood or wrongly pursued is a major source of human misery. And he goes so far as to say, and rebellion against God. Now, I don't want to see a show of hands, but some of you know what this is about because of the churches you were raised in, the homes you were raised in, some teaching that you got, that spirituality understood was just miserable. And it's like, oh, this is so, and not only that, it's not just misery to you, but anyone who watches you say, why would I want to be a part of that? I think it was Frank Laubach that said this to the Christians. He said, listen, if you are weary with some sleepy form of devotion, probably God is just as weary as you are. If, you're, if you wake up every morning and go, oh, crud, I have to do my devotions, you know what God's probably thinking? Oh, crud, he's going to do his devotions. I mean, if it's that miserable for you, it's probably that miserable for God. You don't get extra credit for saying, I hate this. All right. And maybe that's the spirituality that's wrongly understood, and maybe the discipleship that's been wrongly pursued by many of us throughout the years. Here's my goal today. As we start this growing series, my goal is to maybe shift our understanding, shift our per perspective, and possibly shift our entire paradigm so that when we hear the word discipleship, when we think about becoming, when we think about spiritual growth, that there's a different, there's not this, oh, this dread, this, oh, resign myself to this. So I want to use a picture and a poem and a symphony to try and start us off with this. Here's, here's the picture. Maybe you've seen something like this. This is from our brothers and sisters in the South. Uh, this, as you know, April is, is Skagit Valley Tulip Festival time of year, and it's in full bloom right now. It's happening right now. People come from all over, really, from all over 
to see the tulips in Skagit Valley. And, and here they are. So I want you to look at that picture. Picture this. Here are all these tulips, field of tulips. And I want to give you a, a poem that was written 115 years ago, but it was written specifically to go with a tune that was written 200 years ago. 200 years ago, uh, Ludwig von Beethoven uh, finished his final, and some would say his pinnacle symphonies, symphony number, number nine. And he was nearly deaf when he, he composed this. And, and at the end of this, the final movement of his final symphony, um, there's this, this song that's universally known. I mean, if I played it for you, you would go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. All across the world, people would say that. Well, 115 years ago, there's a man named Henry Van Dyke. Good Dutch name, isn't it? Henry Van Dyke, which fits with the whole Holland tulip things. I and mean, we're going to tie it all together. This is good for Linden. All right. Henry Van Dyke wrote a poem, wrote some lyrics that he specifically wanted to be put with the tune of this finale of, of, of the Ninth Symphony of, of Beethoven. And some of you have grown up singing these words. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Now what if, what if when we heard the word discipleship, what if when we thought about growing spiritually, what if we thought about becoming spiritually mature, it wasn't this, oh, all this stuff I've got to do and these, these disciplines and this checklist and this booklet. What if we thought, oh, that's it. That's my heart unfolding like a flower, this beautiful flower before the opening up to the sun above. This is the very, very reason that I was created. This is the, the purpose of, of, for which I was designed. This is fulfilling and becoming who I was created to be. To have that kind of a picture, that it isn't a dread, it's an excitement, it's an anticipation. It's a God, what are you doing and how wonderful can this be? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote uh, The Cost of Discipleship, heavy, heavy book, hard book to read, struggles through that book. I mean, I'm not like saying, you guys ought to all read it. It's tough. But even in this Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer said this, happy are they who know that discipleship simply means the life which springs from grace. And that grace simply means discipleship, that they're interchangeable, that they're, they're, they, they can't be separated. And sometimes we think, oh, yeah, there's the grace that gave me the same. Now I have to do all this discipleship. He says, no, no, they're the same. Peter, uh, Simon Peter. Again, Caitlin talked about him last week. I talked about him two weeks ago. Simon Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he discovered grace. He needed grace. That's what, again, that breakfast by the Sea of Galilee, that, that morning after the, you know, after the resurrection. He knew, needed grace. And he found that grace, and he continued in this life of discipleship, and he devoted himself to becoming and to serving the purposes for which he was created. At the very end of his life, he's in Rome, he knows he's not long for this world, he's going to be executed under Nero, and he writes some letters to Christians, to Jesus followers, who are in, living in the area of what we would call modern-day Turkey. And these followers of Jesus are actually being persecuted because of their faith in Christ which isn't that different from some of the modern-day Christians who live in Turkey who are having their lives taken because they're followers of Jesus. But he writes them these letters, and they're called, uh, in our Bible, they're called 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Not real original, but he writes them these letters. The very last letter, in the very last verse, this is his closing word to these guys. 
as he spent his whole life following Jesus, he's preparing to be executed. He writes to them in 2 Peter chapter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. It's not just what's happening in this world, but forever. Amen. It's this continue to grow, continue to become. It's not a one and done. It's this ongoing process. Grow in the grace, the grace that transformed you. Grow in knowledge, the knowledge that informed you. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one that you're being conformed into. He says, so grow in this. And my desire for us is as we not only go through this series, but as we continue in the rest of our life, that there would be this, this response, this internal response, not of, oh, this is like a root canal, but oh, this is like a flower unfolding with beauty and grace. How incredible is that, that discipleship is a beautiful life of grace to be lived and to live in this beautiful life of grace. Now, I think one of the things that will help us shift our mindset, our understanding, our perspective about this is really confronting what is the goal of it all? I mean, what's the aim? What's the target? What are we shooting for? Why are we even doing this? You say, well, you know, it's to be a disciple. Yes, yes, but what does that even mean? And what does that even look like? And, and this is where I think sometimes we get off in our understanding because most often, if someone were to ask you, hey, how are things going in your spiritual life? Most of us, not all of you, but most of us would immediately go to activities as the metric to determine how we're doing in our spiritual life. Hey, how are you doing in your spiritual life? Eh, pretty good. Could be better. I'm not real consistent with my, you know, quiet time. I could pray a little bit more. I should be going to church more, but I've been starting to do it. So it's all these activities, and we use that as the metric. Okay, here I'm doing okay, so I'm, I'm all right. And those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute here. But I wonder if when we start evaluating, how am I doing in my spiritual journey? Maybe there's a different question. And, and here's my inner kip if you don't get anything else out of this sermon. I want you to hold on to this question because I think this question is a question that every single one of us ought to continually be asking ourselves, be evaluating ourselves in this. And the question is really the essence of what discipleship is all about. And it's this question, am I, am I growing in love? Am I growing in love? Not did I have, you know, 17 days without missing a quiet time or 10 minutes a day in having prayer or, you know, going to church this many Those are all important. But the question of how am I doing in my spiritual life, am I growing in love? This has always been the case. In the Old Testament, God chooses Israel as his, as his people, not because of anything they've done, but because God wants to have them as a, as a, he said, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the entire world. They're the chosen people, they're his special people. And he says, so I'm gonna have a relationship with you that is different than my relationship with other people groups so that through you, I can't have a relationship with everybody. That's, that was the whole thing. And so in this relationship, he gives to them the law. He gives to them his word. And in the law, there are these commands, and they're really the essence of, listen, this is what it means to be the people of God. This is what it means to be in a relationship with it. And there are 613 laws, not just 10 commandments. There are 613 laws. And if you've ever tried to read through Leviticus, you know. There's a law, of, it seems, about for everything. But at the very core, at the very center of all this, it's really not about laws. It's about this relationship, because the center of all of it 
is what is referred to as the Shema found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God. This prayer was to be prayed the first thing in the morning when they woke up throughout the day and the last thing at night before they fell asleep. Now, all the commands, there, there would be things where he'd say, be careful to remember these things. Be careful to obey these things. Be careful to teach these to your children. Be careful to, to, you know, to live in these things. But it wasn't about the law. It wasn't about just make sure you check these things off. It was because of this relationship. What happens and what happened is very often the focus came on keeping the law, not enhancing the love. It was all about these rules, about this religion, about the regulations, not about the relationship that he has with them. So a couple thousand years later, Jesus comes along and one of the Pharisees, and it says in Matthew 22, who was an expert in the law, not an expert in the love, expert in the law, says Jesus, trying to corner him, trying to kind of catch him, says, what's their greatest commandment? And what does Jesus do? He quotes the Shema, not the 613 rules or laws. He quotes the Shema. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he's really quick, says, but wait, wait, wait. And the second is like it. And now he's quoting Leviticus. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, well, one more thing. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So you can keep all the rest of the laws and the prophets, but if you're not loving God and if you're not loving others, you've missed it. That's not the purpose. It's not just to say, look at all these rules we're keeping. It's about loving God more deeply. It's about authentically, genuinely loving others like yourself. That's why when Paul would write to the church in Corinth, he would say, listen, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And, and if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And I have to give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but do not love, I gain nothing. He says, it doesn't matter what you say, how you say it, what you know, how much theology you have, how right your doctrine is, how many questions you can answer. It doesn't matter how sacrificial you are. If there's not love, it doesn't mean anything. That's why the key question is asking, am I growing in love, my love for God and my love for others? John would say this, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Am I growing in love? See, it's possible and I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation about someone from another church, not this one, of course. And some of you know this person hypothetically because of the church you were raised in. It's possible that a man or woman maybe goes to church, actually never misses church. They serve on boards and they've served on committees. They tithe regularly. They have quiet times. You know, they're there to, for the, they volunteer, and, and, and they do all of these things. They, they pray, and there's a whole bunch of vices that they avoid, a lot of things that they don't do, a lot of things that they do, and they have all of this, and yet 
while they're doing all of this stuff, it's, it seems like just something's off. Because there's no joy. And there's no life. And you wonder, do they even love God? And, and I'm not sure that they love anybody else. Because they're just maybe filled with pride. They become critical, judgmental, prejudiced, even stingy. You say, what's wrong? And, and like the Grinch, while they're doing all the right things, their heart has grown two sizes too small. It's like, well, you missed it. Are you growing in love? You're doing all these right things, but are you growing in love? Uh, Chuck Swindoll said, there's an enormous difference between growing old in the Lord and growing up in the Lord. And can I just say, I don't want any of you to ever grow old in the Lord. I want all of us to grow up in the Lord. Second Thessalonians says this, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because, watch this, because your faith is growing more and more, ongoing process. And, and, the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Yes, your faith is growing. It's continuing to grow. That's a good thing. And it's not separate from, at the same time, your love is increasing. If your faith is growing, your love is going to be increasing. If it's not, your faith is, is just a bunch of rules. It's, it's just a religious thing. And you've missed out on this. So to have this faith that's growing, to have this life that's becoming, to be in this process, but at the same time, be growing and increasing in our love for God and others. Now, that sounds wonderful. You say, man, this sounds great. Let's just all just love each other and get along. And it's true. But as far as the discipline piece, and like I said, we will come to that. I'm not saying that there's not discipline involved with this. And I want to be really, really clear on this. Because again, I think this is where in our thinking, sometimes we can get off. When we talk about spiritual disciplines, and we will, you know, things like prayer and, and meditation and, and Bible uh, scripture input and fellowship and service and solitude, you know, all these things, these, these disciplines. Disciplines, that's what I want us to understand. Disciplines are not proof of spiritual maturity. Disciplines are the path to spiritual maturity. Big difference there. This, these disciplines are not, are not the proof of spiritual maturity. Not like, well, are you spiritually mature? Well, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. I check all these things off the list. Therefore, because I do all this, that proves that I'm spiritually mature. No, no, no. Disciplines are the pathway. I do these things because it's helping me grow in my love for God and for others. It's helping me become who God has created me to become. It's this ongoing process. It's not just doing, but becoming. Again, not a show of hands, but in the church I was raised in, and I'm so grateful for it. And some of the ministries that I've been a part of, and I'm so grateful for them. And even some of the ministries that I've led, at times it's felt like it's more about doing the right stuff than becoming the right person. All right, let's do this. Let's switch metaphors. Play-Doh. I mean, what's a sermon without Play-Doh, right? And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Ooh, snack time. No. Uh, question, how many of you ever ate Play-Doh? Just be honest. H how about uh, paste, Elmer's paste? Yeah. That explains some things where your doctor has been what? Play-Doh. And I'll say this, just this is for free. I was more of a silly putty guy than a Play-Doh guy. 
especially when it came to the Sunday comics. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Silly putty smelled way better than Play-Doh, but Play-Doh tasted better. <laughs> See, aren't you glad you came to church? The things you learn. Play-Doh. You know, it's amazing, Play-Doh, you know, you get this stuff, and you start shaping it for me. And, of course, everyone can make snakes, right? Everyone can make snakes. Everyone can make, uh, you know, worms. That's real easy. But you can kind of shape it to whatever you want. You can make a little bunny rabbit. You can make a bird or whatever. And and what you do as as you're shaping the Play-Doh, again, depending on your artistic ability, that's kind of looking like a chicken right there, Um, you get get this Play-Doh, is that you're working it, you're shaping it, and, and actually what you're doing is you're conforming it. And, and there's a word in the, in the Bible, conform, and it means to take something and to have it conform to be made in the likeness or the image of something else. And it can be a positive thing. It can be a negative thing. And in fact, when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he uses this word once on a very negative side and once on a very positive side. This whole idea of, of shaping something to, to the likeness of another. For instance, in Romans 12, 2, he says, do not conform, be shaped into the likeness of, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Not, not like what everybody else is doing, what our culture is doing, what society is doing, what everybody seems to think is okay, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, don't be conformed that way. But earlier in the book, he writes, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. You're not going to be conformed or shaped into the image of the world, but you're to be conformed and shaped into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be conformed into his image. And the life of Jesus is the most beautiful life there ever was, and it's living the Jesus life. I mean, you think about this. What does it look like to be conformed into the image of Jesus? Is it just about keeping a bunch of of disciplines and checking things off a list? Or is it being full of grace and truth? Is it being a person of justice and compassion? Is it a person of obedience and joy? Is it a person who's growing in love for God and love for others? That's the Jesus life. And he's called us to be conformed to that image. And the Apostle Paul, I reference him quite a, a bit uh, in this sermon, but he spent his entire life conforming to the law of God. I mean, he remember, he was a Pharisee. He was like at the top of the class. He's a top 1% of his whole, you know, religious class. He's this Pharisee who keeps the law. He's memorized the law. He works meticulously to, to do all that until he meets Jesus. And then everything changes. Then he realized how empty it was to just checklist through all the disciplines of, of keeping the law. He says, and all those things that were profitable to me, I consider loss. What is more, I consider them garbage you know, rubbish in, in sur- the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I, I want to be found in him, having a righteousness that comes through him and is by faith, not my own legalistic righteousness. So he finds this, this reality, and it's a wake-up call. And, and we'll see it a little bit in the summer series when we, when we go through the book of Acts. We'll see what happens to him. But it's going from being conformed to this religious law to being conformed into the image of Christ. And he would even write, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He not only wanted that for him, but he wanted that for all the churches, all the followers of Jesus as well. So when he writes to the churches in the region of Galatia, he uses some terminology. Ladies, you will know this. He uses some terminology he should not have used. 
because he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. He says this, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Ladies, does Paul know the pains of childbirth? Nay. He should not be using this. I don't know the chains of pains of childbirth. I never want to know the pains of childbirth. But he says, I- I'm-, I'm under this pain because there's something that's going to be birthed. And look at this, until Christ is formed in you. Not just informed about him, that's part of it, but being transformed by him and being conformed into his likeness. That's what I want. So, so how does that even happen? So, okay, well, I just kind of keep loving and hope God does this. Well, this is where the disciplines do come in. Remember, disciplines are not proof of spiritual maturity. Disciplines can be, should be, a path to spiritual discipline. In John Ortberg's book, uh, The Life You've Always Wanted, which was, man, whenever that came out 10, 15 years ago, so instrumental in helping me uh, change it in some of my thinking, my paradigm, he writes this about spiritual disciplines. He says, this is what a spiritual discipline is. Any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. So some say, well, so how many spiritual disciplines are there? Are there like eight, or is it like 15, or are there 21, or what? If this is true, there's an unlimited number of spiritual disciplines, because anything could become a spiritual discipline if, if it helps me gain the power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. So yeah, there's some classic things, but, but he opens this up. This is like, if any of you are familiar with uh, Brother Lawrence and his practicing the presence of God, he said he was a monk in a monastery. He would do dishes. He said, doing dishes was like this spiritual discipline because I could be in the very presence of Jesus and it helped me live the life that Jesus lived. So whatever it is, anything could be a spiritual discipline. There, there's countless things that could be considered a spiritual discipline if... It leads us to have the power to live this life that Jesus has. To be more like Jesus. Thinking, feeling, and acting like Jesus. The things in our life that would help us be transformed. As we, as we continue to grow, what if? What if when we were in some circumstance or situation, we didn't just go with our natural inclination, but we started being changed and we started thinking how Jesus would think in this situation. We would start thinking the thoughts of Jesus. It wouldn't just be our our human nature. And and the things that we feel, that the things that that break our heart, the things that cause us to rejoice are actually the things that break the heart of Christ and and cause him to rejoice. And and the way that we act, it's no longer just our human reaction. It's it's Christ in us, and and he's working, and, and we're responding in a way that is grace and truth and love and obedience and joy love for God and for others, to be transformed, to be conformed into his likeness and to live that kind of life uh, throughout our lives. First John says this, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. That's the thinking, the feeling, the acting, living this Jesus life. This is the ongoing process. Anyone here bold enough to say, oh no, I'm already there. If so, we would all say, no, you're not. The Apostle Paul 
That's why he would say, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. What is the goal? To just be disciplined, to just have 17 quiet times in a row without ever missing, to have a running streak of how many days I've been in the Bible, to spend 10 minutes. Those are all good, but that's not the goal. The goal is to have our lives unfold like a flower before God, the very purpose that we were created, to live this beautiful life of grace that is growing in love for God and others and being conformed into the image of Christ. That's the goal. And it's an ongoing process. And this I know about you, because I know it about me. It's a process that will continue on every day of your life until the day you die. You never reach that fully. We keep growing in that. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. They had been transformed by the grace of God. But man, they really were still conformed to the image of this world, the patterns of this world. There was a lot of work to be done. And he calls them saints because of who they are in Christ. But there's this ongoing work and this verse in their context and in my life brings great hope. Second Corinthians says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being, that's that ongoing process, being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. This is the process, ongoing, change transformed like Jesus and it continues to grow, ever increasing glory. I just, let me just speak personally now. Now that I'm in my late 50s, getting old, the last thing I want as I continue to age, the last thing I want is to become critical cantankerous, cynical, crotchety. Can you say that word in church? I don't even know what it means, but I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that pastor. My desire as I continue to get older is that I would continue to grow and be more filled with more grace than ever before that there would be a, a greater sense of, of wonder and curiosity and generosity, that, that the fruit of the Spirit would be more evident, that there would be more love and more joy and more peace and more patience, and more kindness and more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness and more self-control, that I would become more and more transformed into the likeness of Christ because of his grace at work in my life. That's my desire. My desire is that I would not become this crusty, cynical, drawn-in, negative, critical, judgmental old pastor. But that every day, while I'm wasting away day by day, inwardly I would be renewed like a flower unfolding reaching to the sun above. That's my desire. And that's my desire for us. That, that's why this series is called Growing. 
Because no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, this is for all of us. If you're still trying to figure out, I'm not even sure if I believe in Jesus, or I'm not even sure what I believe in Jesus, this is for you, that you can continue to grow. If you're brand new in your faith, saying, I've just discovered this life, and I've just been forgiven, and, and I'm trying to figure this out and learn about it, this is for you. And if you've been walking with the Lord, and, and maybe you're kind of in this, uh, just kind of in a rut, this is for you. If you've been walking with the Lord for decades, and, and you're just flourishing, this is still for you. Now, I, I use the picture of the flowers. I, I use the, 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 the Play-Doh. Can I, can I shift my metaphor one more time? Okay, it doesn't matter. I'm going to. For this series, we're using this picture of a gear, and you're going to see this throughout the series and, and, and elsewhere. And let me just kind of walk through this real quickly. This is this whole idea. That at the heart of things, at the center of things, is our, our identity in Christ. And here we are becoming more like Christ. That's at the very core, is to be like Jesus, to continue to surrender to him, to continue to, to submit to him, to continue to be transformed by him, to continue to be conformed into his likeness with the goal of loving God and loving others. So how does that happen? Well, there are these, these spokes. Now, as I said, there's a million spokes, but we're just gonna focus on six over the next six weeks six of these spokes, and this is not the exhaustive, all-inclusive list, but these six things, to pray, you know, this connection with God through prayer, very important around here, restoring hope to the hurting in our world, uh, you know, committing uh, to the gathering to worship together and to learn together, connecting to God with scripture, engaging in relationships with others who are far from God, and growing in community with, with other people. And for the next six weeks, as this is our goal, we're going to go through each one of these. Pastor Kip and Pastor Brian are going to, are going to lead us through each one of these. For the next six weeks, um, I'm going to be uh, partly on a study break preparing for the summer series and then also some time of vacation. So for six weeks, Pastor Kip and Pastor Brian are going to walk us through these things as we continue to grow. Now you might say, that's wonderful. That makes sense. What's with the teeth? What's with the gear? Why not just make it a wheel? I'm so glad you asked. Because this whole idea of a gear is that we are growing together, that our lives interact, that while one of the spiritual disciplines may very well be solitude, this spiritual growth, this spiritual maturity, this dis discipleship process is never meant to be a solo sport, that we do this together. Again, that's what Caitlin talked about last week. Don't do this by yourself. Bring someone along that, that we are, are interacting with one another and we are growing together. And I love how the New Living Translation takes this uh, verse out of Ephesians 4 and just kind of puts all that together. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That every single one of us would be interacting, we would be helping each other, we would be growing together, becoming, growing in love. That your life and my life would be a beautiful life of grace, growing in love for God and for others, being conformed into the image of Christ. All right. Let me circle back to the picture we started with. This tulip field. And what I love about this picture is some of these tulips haven't even opened yet. They're still getting ready to. And some are, are kind of starting to open and some are fully open. 
They're all in, in different places. What a cool picture of the church, that we may all be in different places. But as we're all growing, our hearts are unfolding like flowers before him, opening to the sun above. Right now in our yard, um, our daffodils are pretty well done. Some of them are way done. But within the next day or two, we're going to have to cut those back. Our tulips right now are in full bloom. As well, our apple tree and our cherry trees are just full of blossoms right now. Our azaleas have exploded. It's just amazing. And our rhododendrons are right on the cusp of, of coming to life. So there's flowers all over the place. That, that's just our yard. And the reality is, no matter where you go, no matter where you drive, you see flowers. I mean, on the side of the freeway, there's these bunches of, of daffodils. There's flowers everywhere. So my challenge for us this week, as we enter into this, this series, is this. And my prayer is this. That as you're going through your day, in your yard, in the neighbor's yard, in, in, in the, on the street, driving through wherever, when you see flowers, that it would be a reminder. That's a picture of what it means to have a heart unfold like a flower before. God, that's what I want in my life. I want to, I want to blossom this beautiful life of grace that you've designed and you've hardwired into. You've created me to live. I don't want it to be this drudgery. I want it to be this, this thing of beauty. And, and imagine this. If we would all begin to look at it that way, that Cornwall Church begins to look, okay, forget them all being the same color, but we're all being these flowers that are just blossoming to the glory of God to bring beauty to our world and transformation to being who we were created to be. So that's my challenge to you this week, if you'll take it, is just ask God every day as you see a flower, just to, and, and, and just say, I just want to, God, I want, I want that to be a picture of my life. I want you to transform me. I want to be a thing of beauty in your grace for your glory. All right, stand and we'll close in prayer here. Jesus, thank you so much for calling us to live the life that we were created to live. And God, I pray that we would never reduce it down to a legalistic list of duties to be done. I pray that we would always think, am I growing in my love for you? Am I growing in my love for others? We would allow the spiritual disciplines to be a path to transforming us, and we would do everything we could in step with your spirit to be conformed into the image of Christ. Lord, may it be so. I pray in your name. Amen.